verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness an implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you at church uh, this morning. Uh, welcome. Uh, and if you're joining us on Zoom, uh, it's great that you can uh, tune in as well. Uh, please keep James chapter 1 open in front of you, and uh, we'll work our way, our way through that passage. But uh, before we do that, uh, let me lead us in prayer and ask for God's help to understand uh, His word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you've gathered us together uh, in person as well as on Zoom this morning uh, to hear your word. Uh, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And uh, our prayer this morning is that we might desire your word uh, even more than uh, pure gold and even more than the sweetest of honey. And we pray that in desiring uh, to hear the things you say, uh, we might not simply stop at hearing, but that you would help us to be doers of your word as your word teaches us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, well, friends, uh, how good is your hearing? How good is your hearing? Uh, you might have heard the name Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh, Roosevelt was the President of the United States of America through much of the Second World War. But the story goes that one day, uh, Roosevelt decided to find out if anyone was actually paying attention to anything he was saying. And so during a function, as people came up to him to shake his hand, uh, he flashed his big smile as people came up to him, and he said, I murdered my grandmother. And what he noticed was that people would automatically respond with comments like, how lovely, or just continue with your great work. Um, you see, although they heard the words, nobody really heard what he was saying except one foreign diplomat. Uh, when the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, apparently this diplomat responded softly by saying, I'm sure she deserved it. Uh, you see, there is hearing, and then there is hearing, isn't there? Uh, sometimes it doesn't matter too much whether we hear things well or not. Uh, I mean, my guess is that those people who didn't really hear the president 
too affected by that. But at other times, hearing properly is actually a matter of life and death, isn't it? You know, if you go to the doctor and he tells you that you have a life-threatening illness, then whether you really hear what he's saying and uh, whether you really hear what you need to do about it can actually be the difference between life and death. Uh, now, we've been looking at the letter of James in the New Testament, uh, as uh, Ian mentioned. Uh, last week, we saw James saying that when we go through trials and difficulties in life, uh, what we really need is the wisdom to see that God actually gives us trials in life in order to grow us and to mold us and shape us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, where is real wisdom to be found? Well, it's to be found in God's Word, isn't it? And so perhaps that's why in verse 18, which was at the end of last week's passage, James speaks about the Word of Truth, which has brought us new life. And in today's passage, you can see there that James mentions the Word of God again and again and again. In verse 21, for example, he speaks about the implanted Word. In verse 22, he speaks about being doers of the Word. In verse 25, he speaks about God's Word as the perfect law and the law of liberty. You see, today's passage has a lot to do with God's Word and how we hear the things He says to us. Now, I want to suggest that the way you and I hear God's Word is actually a matter of life and death. It's not a trivial matter. For in verse 21, you can see there that God's Word is that which is able to save your soul. And in verse 22, you can see there that not hearing God's Word rightly is to be deceived about your salvation. It's a matter of life and death. So how do you and I hear God's Word? Do we hear in such a way that would lead to the salvation of our souls? Or do we hear in such a way that we are self-deceived? There is hearing, and then there is hearing. Well, if you have a look at our passage this morning, you can see there that James begins by speaking about hearing. But he's not speaking here about hearing God, is he? Uh, I think he's speaking about hearing others. And so in chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that, that seems like good advice, doesn't it? I mean, imagine if we were all very quick to hear others, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It would save a lot of marriages, don't you think? It would save a lot of friendships. It would make going to work a much more pleasant experience. Now, you may have heard the phrase, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Have you heard that one before? And it's true, isn't it? It's actually good advice that builds up relationships with one another. But why do 
James suddenly say these things here in his letter. Now, James has been speaking about Christians going through trials and difficulties in their lives, hasn't he? As we saw last week. But what does this have to do with going through trials and difficulties in life? Well, if you think about it, isn't it true that particularly when you and I go through trials in life, we find it easy not to hear others? We find it easy just to say whatever is on our minds with very little self-control. We find it very easy to get angry about our situation or about God himself. Have you ever had a friend uh, going through difficulties in life and uh, that friend comes to you and just does the emotional dump on you? And that if you've ever had a friend do that to you before. Yeah, most of us. No, they don't really want to hear what you have to say. They just want to speak and vent their frustration. They feel very justified in their anger, which seems to be growing and growing. In the end, it's a very unloving and self-absorbed way to be. And so James says, especially when you go through trials in life, don't be like that. Don't shut your ears off to others, especially if other people have wise, wise words to say to you in your situation. Don't be quick to speak, thinking that the world revolves around you because you're the only one going through trials and difficulties in life. And don't get angry and see that others or God himself. For notice in verse 21, he says that this kind of behavior does not produce the righteous life that God desires of you and which pleases him. Well, if that sort of behavior is not pleasing to God, then how are we to behave? Well, you can see there, the next thing James says is that we are to be quick to hear God speak. We are to be quick to hear God's voice. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, the way to live the righteous life that pleases God is to humbly listen to and to hear the things God says in His Word. Notice that we don't listen to God's Word in order to earn our salvation. Rather, James describes this word very interestingly as the implanted word. In other words, if we are people who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God has actually implanted his word into the garden of our hearts. And so our responsibility is to continue listening to that word and hearing that word and cultivating what God has given to us so that we might live the righteous life that pleases God. You know, it's impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God if we don't open up His Word. Well, it's impossible to please anyone 
not listen to what I am saying. And to listen to the things that actually please that person. I mean, that's why shopping for Christmas presents is always so much easier for people that you know very well. Why? Well, it's because you spend time with them. You've listened to them, so you know uh, what they like and what they don't like, what their preferences are. But it's so much harder to buy a Christmas present for people who you don't know very well. Why? Well, it's because you haven't listened to them. You don't know what they like or what they dislike or what their preferences are. I think one of the great dangers of our generation is that we can think we are pleasing God in our lives without actually listening to or hearing the things that He has to say to us. We may, listen to, we may not listen to what actually pleases Him. I wonder whether that's true. How seriously do you and I take hearing God's Word, which for us is the Bible? My great fear is that for many of us, as we lead such busy lives, is that we limit hearing God's word to five minutes a day, if that. Now, don't get me wrong. Five minutes a day is better than zero minutes a day. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone to read their Bible more here. How can we expect to grow in living the righteous life that pleases God with five minutes a day that we must while spending so much time listening to other voices in our lives? Do you know that research tells us that the average adult person sees between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements every single day? It's a staggering figure, isn't it? Now, we come across advertisements on our phones as we scroll through on our television screens, the billboards as we travel to work in our mailboxes where we are bombarded by thousands and thousands of voices each day trying to shape our thinking and our values and our behavior. And we have five minutes with God here in his books. Expect to be able to live a life that pleases God. That's why I'm always so encouraged when some of us make godly decisions in order to put aside other important things in our lives to make sure that hearing God's word is a priority for us. And some of you have taken a year off work to study at Bible College to go deeper into hearing God's word. Others of you have signed up for PTC courses because you really want to go deeper into understanding the things that God says. Still others of you are meeting up with one another in order to read the Bible together and help each other to hear God's voice. But the question that God is asking each and every one of us this morning is, are you humbly listening to me? Are you meekly receiving the things that I say in my word? What James goes on to say 
is that simply hearing God's word is not enough. In fact, in verse 22, you can see there that the person who simply hears God's word but does nothing about it is the person who is self-deceived. It's a very serious claim, don't you think? But what James is saying here is that a person who goes to church every week and a person who goes to Bible study every week and continues to hear the Word of God but does nothing about it can be deceived into thinking that they are saved when in fact they are not. It doesn't get any more sober than that, does it? What is the person who is a hearer but not a doer like? We can see there that James gives us a striking illustration in verse 23, which has already been very helpfully unpacked for us this morning. But look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You see the point? Can you imagine if you uh, look at yourself in the mirror because you need to get ready to go out somewhere fancy? And what you see in the mirror is a little, little bit like Mason, your, your mess. You know, you've got food stuffed in your teeth and your hair all over the place. You have stains from last night's pizza down your shirt. Clearly, you've got to do something about it before you go out. But the man that, is, uh, that James is describing is the one who walks away from the mirror and forgets so that he does nothing about it. You see, that's what God's Word is like. It's like a mirror that shows you what you are really like and what I am really like so that we can do something about it. But, you know, when you first became a Christian, my guess is that you heard God's Word which showed you what, re- what you were really like as a sinner and so that you did something about it. You turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust in His death for you on the cross. And you changed your whole orientation of life so that you now follow Him. But God's Word continues to do that in the Christian person's life, you see. It continues to show us what we are really like as sinners, so that with God's help we might do something about it. And to grow more, uh, more and more like Jesus Himself. That is, the mirror illustration is meant to show us the utter foolishness of the person who looks at God's Word and sees the state they are in and then does nothing. And fools, according to God in the Scripture, are the ones who can expect nothing from God. But how about the person who not only hears God's Word but actually does God's Word and acts on God's Word and puts God's Word into practice? But what is the outcome for them? Well, James tells us, doesn't he, in verse 25. Have a look at verse 25. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, 
but a doer of the acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, it's quite striking that James speaks about God's word, word as the perfect law here. Why does James speak about God's word as a law? Well, you might know that the law in the Bible is uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, which uh, includes the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, now, it's true that the first five books of the Old Testament are, are much more than simply laws and commandments, because it also contains a whole lot of other stuff as well, narratives, poetry, and other genres. However, I wonder whether James used the word law here to emphasize the fact that God's word always demands a response from us. It always demands a response from us. Of course, Christians do not simply obey the Old Testament law, but we obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is probably why James calls God's word the perfect law here, because Jesus is the one who perfects and who completes and who fulfills the Old Testament law and interprets the Old Testament law for us. But the point is that hearing God's word is, simply, is never simply an intellectual exercise, but something that demands a response from you and I who hear. Hearing sermons, friends, going to growth group and reading the Bible with others is not an end in itself. It's always a means to a bigger end, which is to do God's work in ways that please God. Further, notice that God's word is also described there as the law of liberty. Now, that might sound quite jarring to us, you know, to have the word law and liberty placed together side by side like that. It almost sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Law and freedom. And that's because we are so used to our world's definition of liberty and freedom as the absence of all constraints in our lives. But the Bible's definition of freedom is never the absence of all constraints, but the presence of God-given constraints in our lives. It's a bit like a goldfish in a fishbowl who jumps out of the fishbowl thinking that he will be free. So what happens when a goldfish jumps out of the fishbowl? Well, you don't have a goldfish who is free, do you? You have a goldfish who is dead. That's sort of what James is saying here. The way to be most free in your life is not to be free from every kind of constraint. But the way to be most free is to be appropriately constrained by the things that God says to you and to me. Do you wish to ignore God's word, thinking that it will bring you freedom? You will become a slave to all sorts of things, says God. Do you wish to do God's word? Well, that's when you will be most free in your life, says God. I suspect that many of us know the misery of not actually listening to God's word from time to time. And 
I suspect that many of us know that real taste of freedom when we listen to God and when we live out the things that we are hearing. That's why James says at the end of verse 25 that a person who is not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts is what? Well, he is the one who will be blessed. I don't think James is talking here about future blessing in heaven, uh, although that in itself is true as well. But what James is saying is that the person who does the word of God in their lives will be the one to experience God's blessing in the here and now. James says that such a person will be blessed in his doing. Do you know the blessing of doing God's word? Sometimes I think Christians can get into our heads that doing God's word is something we need to do out of begrudging duty. As though the things God demands of us is not actually good for us. But I want you to see here that God promises great blessing in the doing. So will you trust him here? Will you believe that doing God's word and living God's way not only pleases God, but is actually a blessing to you and to me? Because God's ways are always expressed to me. Well, friends, in the final few verses of our passage this morning, James talks about true religion. Uh, you can see there that James uses the word religion again and again in verses 26 and 27, which is at the end of our passage. Uh, now, it's true that the word religion has quite negative connotations in our modern world, doesn't it? Uh, I think when our world uses that word, that word religion, it's speaking about religious rules and uh, regulations that seem outdated and irrelevant to our lives now. Uh, that's why Christians sometimes, sometimes say things like, you know, Christianity is not a religion, but it's actually a relationship with God and, and with others. And there's a great deal of truth in that. But you've got to understand that meanings of words change over time. And so I think it's important to understand what James himself means by the word religion. And for James, religion is not a negative word. It's simply a word that describes the outworking of a person's faith in God. In other words, he's actually really speaking about the same thing that he's been speaking about in the previous verses. That is, the outworking of faith, the doing of God's word. However, I want you to notice that James is a very practical theologian. That is, he's not content to simply speak about the principles of the Christian life. But in the final part of our passage, and indeed in the rest of the letter of James, he goes on to show us practically what it looks like to be a doer of God's word. Now, he's not trying to be exhaustive here, as though this is the only thing that we need to do in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. But he does give two examples, one negative and one positive. The negative example of a person who hears the word and does not
not do it or put it into practice is the person who does not control their speech. So you can see it there in verse 26. Actually, James says, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I find it fascinating that the first thing that James mentions when he gets to practical application is speech. But the more I think about it, the more it makes sense because what comes out of our mouths is actually a reflection of our hearts, isn't it? And so if you and I have a heart that has been changed by the Word of God, then naturally our speech will change. You might stop swearing. That's one of the most obvious changes that happened to me when I first became a Christian. You might stop gossiping about others. You might start speaking about God because it's impossible to love God truly in your heart and not have that expressed in the things that you say. It doesn't matter how much you and I do religious things. If our speech never changes and we don't exercise self-control in the things we say, then James says that our religion is worthless. But the more positive example of a person who hears God's word and actually does the things that God says, you notice, is the person who cares for the vulnerable. As James says in verse 27, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Orphans and widows were the prime examples of the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized but remember that James is writing in a time before social security. And so the real point that James is making here is that true religion, or the doing of God's word that pleases God, means practically caring for those who are vulnerable in our world. This is very important to God. It's reflected all throughout the Bible. Of course, our primary obligation is to love and care for the vulnerable who are part of our church family. But I think in James, the responsibility to care for the vulnerable in our world actually starts to extend beyond the church, doesn't it? You know, that might mean giving money to organizations such as Anglicare. It might mean volunteering your time to work with such organizations in order to care for the vulnerable in our world, our people like refugees, for example. It might mean writing a letter to your local MP, speaking up about things like uh, voluntary euthanasia or abortion, so that we speak up for those who are most vulnerable in our society, that is, the terminally ill and unborn babies. Perhaps we might speak to one another today about the many different ways we can obey God's word 
because it's pointless me limiting the application of this to a few things. Now, does that mean uh, we should set up a soup kitchen in our church to feed the poor? Well, I don't necessarily think that we need to do that. For the primary mission of the church is is not to care for the poor, but rather to preach the gospel. And setting up things like soup kitchens can divert our energy and resources and attention away from the gospel. However, in our context, we have wonderful organizations uh, such as Anglican, who we are very closely aligned with, who already have structures in place to help Christians in local churches, people like us, to get involved in caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized in our society. And so I don't think we need to play off, you know, caring for the poor and the vulnerable with proclaiming the gospel in the way that we speak about these things. But at the end of the day, how can we genuinely care for those who are vulnerable and needy in our world and not care about those who are most vulnerable in our world because they are in a desperate situation without God in their lives? Indeed, what we ought to be praying for, even as we care for the physical needs of orphans and widows, is that by God's grace, Orphans will find in God a true Father who loves them, and widows will find in Christ a true husband who cares for them. Well, friends, how do you and I hear the Word of God each week? Do we humbly hear God's Word and then work hard to do what it says? Or do we simply hear, but never do anything about it? So that we slide more and more into self-deception. Do we practice true religion in the way we use our tongues and care for the vulnerable? Or is our religion worthless because we have a do-nothing kind of faith? You see, James does not allow us to simply sit on the fence. either a wise person who is a doer of God's word which will one day save your soul or you are a foolish person who simply hears but never does it so that it will be worthless. In many ways, you can't wiggle out of this one. I can't wiggle out of this one. But the moment you and I walk out of this building back to our values, we will prove to be one with another. So what will it be for you? What will it be for me? What God says this morning is not only to be a hearer, but to be a doer, but to be a doer of God's word. That's another big thing that comes from listening to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gracious word which you have implanted into our hearts which is able to save our souls. And we thank you that you have embedded your word deep in us so that you might not only save us 
transform us to be your people. We pray that you would help us more and more to be a people who eagerly and expectantly and humbly receive the things that you say to us. But Father, we pray that you would also help us not only to hear your word, but to be doers of your word. Please make us teachable rather than stubborn in our hearts so that we will put into practice the things we hear you to be true. And please continue to change us and shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus. Please change the way we speak and the things that we speak about. Please change the things we get angry about. Please change the way we use our money and our time so that we might care for the vulnerable in our church and in wider society, not only in providing physical needs, but especially in providing the true bread of the gospel that can sustain those around us for all eternity. 